0: Villainous, a good omens fan fiction. written by Ineffable Penguin read aloud by Skyasimaru. If you enjoy this podfic, you can check out the original story on archive of our own. If you would like to hear more of my recordings or see some of my own work, you can find me through the pen and screen name of Skyasimaru. Villainous, CHAPTER TWO THE COUNCIL The morning sky was sullen gray, a perfect match for Crow's mood, and streaks of even darker clouds in the far distance threatened rain for later. He glared up at those clouds and tugged his nicest black cloak a bit tighter around himself.
1: Brilliant.
0: And him wearing his suede boots, too. If only his glare could terrify the weather the way it did everyone else. A soft splat to his right made him whip his head around to see that a raven dropping had just landed on his shoulder. That wasn't an uncommon occurrence, sharing his tower grounds with loads of birds. But today he had to stop and draw in a slow breath through his long nose before using a cleaning spell to remove the mark. Brilliant. The world is literally shitting on me to die. He growled the magical password, Adro, and the tall hedge of thorns around his tower parted like a prickly rustling curtain to let him stomp through. Rip! Rip! The edge of his cloak caught on a protruding black thorn, tearing a long run in the fabric. He barely resisted the urge to jump up and down like a child and quickly repaired the damage with a hissed mending spell, not off to an auspicious start. Despite the dreary weather, he wore his dark-tinted glasses, as always, a special design that included panes of glass on the sides, as well as front, to fully hide his eyes. They weren't a disguise around here, not when he was the only one who wore such things in all of Apollyon, but at least this way he didn't have to endure the townspeople's constant horrified twitching when they met his yellow eyes. And he'd found that when he did lose his temper... Slowly removing the glasses had the kind of dramatic effect that really got things done. It was a good twenty miles or so southwards to Pandemonium, where all council business was held. Before subjecting himself to the long, bouncy carriage ride, he decided he would stop at the local tavern to grab a drink. It was still early for alcohol, but when it came to the council, a bit of liquid fortification, could only help. He trudged his reluctant way through the dirt streets of the closest town, half a mile from his tower, ignoring the askance looks and the way crowds retreated uneasily from him like the tide, the way people scurried nervously out of his way and mothers clutched at their children as he passed. The bolder ones glared outright, but he shrugged that off, too. It was second nature by now. Around here, his red hair marked him as clearly as his yellow eyes did. There weren't enough redheads out there for him to not be easily recognized. He stood out like a lit flare in a dark room, and once recognized, a sorcerer was never forgotten. A sorcerer's innate powers manifested at birth, but came into full bloom when adolescence struck, which was essentially being handed a big ball of seething chaos right when least equipped to handle it. Struck was a very apt term for it, really. While most people just had to deal with greasy hair and spots and awkward physical malfunctions, budding sorcerers had to suddenly deal with their power flaring wildly out of control at inconvenient times. Sorcerer magic was essentially raw, organic energy, instinctive, unpredictable, and tied to emotions. And like any energy, the damn stuff wanted out. Training and discipline taught them to channel that energy into various different paths, like spells, Unfortunately, it most naturally enjoyed the path of least resistance, heat. More specifically, fire. It was the one skill no sorcerer had to learn, only to learn to control. This did not exactly endear them to the local mundane populace. As he approached the rough-hewn double doors of the tavern, black cloak flapping, Two weaselly little peddlers that always lurked nearby flinched back from him. He ignored them. Everyone always flinched, every single time, no matter how often he came here, and no matter what he did. They'd flinch if he broke wind or blew his nose too loudly. One of them also made the sign against evil and spat on the ground as he passed, Crow hissed and set fire to his fruit cart out of pure spite. Hmph. Give the bastard something to flinch about. Hackles up, he ignored the panicked shouts and swept past the flaming cart into the tavern. At age sixteen, recently orphaned and just moved in, Crow had personally been responsible for accidentally burning down the local pub when he lost his temper. Twenty-two years later, and it was still a large, blackened, empty space on the edge of town. It just sat there, serving as a constant grim reminder of how dangerous and unpredictable sorcerers were. Between things like that and the unnatural yellow eyes... Sorcerers were viewed with a fear and distrust that bordered on superstition, and that was just south of the wall. The Northlanders were worse. He made straight for the back and slid into a seat at his customary table, the one that was always kept vacant, just in case he stopped by. Like a wasp in the room, it was easier for people to keep a wide berth when they knew where he might be. It didn't bother him. If they wanted to keep away, so much the better, and all the easier to avoid their muttering and rude stares. That's what he would have insisted if anyone asked, but no one ever did. He wrapped his knuckles on the wood table, and the barkeep slunk reluctantly over. "'Yes, sir?' a greasy fellow with lank brown hair and hooded eyes. I'll dock. Crow slid a copper across the table towards him without turning his head. He didn't feel like seeing the quickly averted gaze and uncomfortable shuffling that always followed when he looked at people. Not today. He was already regretting coming. The man took the coin with a sour grunt and shuffled away far quicker than he had come, probably sensing his bad mood. It almost seemed to irk people more that he always paid for his drinks instead of simply demanding them for free, almost as if they were angry that he didn't give them further reason to hate him. The general method among sorcerers was to take whatever they wanted, as their due tribute from all mundanes. But Crow personally held that it was a bad idea to antagonize the people preparing your food. No need to give them further incentive to poison him. He knew that the folks in this remote little town, and every other town, would be happy to gather their pitchforks and run him out of the area, or simply run him through if not for the fact that the council would come and raise the entire place to ashes if they found out. The council's personal distaste for Crow was entirely beside the point. They couldn't allow uppity mundanes to get ideas, made bad business for all of them. So, whether he wanted it or not, he had their protection, and everyone knew it it only made their occasional little attempts on his life sneakier and sure he could have put a stop to even that no problem he could make a few fiery examples or tell the council about it but then he'd just have to start over with a whole new village or worse the council would catch wind and decide they needed to drag Crow right back down to live in pandemonium after all, since he so clearly couldn't take care of himself. Ugh. Crow had long since decided that he had a special talent for cramming himself into the worst possible in-between of every situation. Not enough of a sorcerer for the other sorcerers, but far too much of one, for everyone else. Frightening enough for townsfolk to hate him, yet familiar enough where they felt comfortable giving offence. He sipped his drink, once it arrived, without enthusiasm. Ugh! He pulled a face. The ale had been better at the old pub, he reflected irritably. The pub he had burned down. That just figured he glanced at the silver ring on his left forefinger but the inset stone was still crystal clear with no hint of green not poisoned then just bad quality hurray he caught one of the other patrons staring at him wide-eyed like a frightened rabbit crow bared his teeth at him and the man scurried away as quickly as he could Occasionally he was briefly tempted to give in to the pressure and move down to Pandemonium, where the common people were so cowed and used to sorcerers that they would never dare be disrespectful. But even if he truly wanted to, and he didn't, the others would never let him live it down. Oh, they would love that, wouldn't they? come crawling back with his tail between his legs no besides living there would mean he had to live near all the other sorcerers under the direct displeased eye of the council he would be constantly involved the very thought made him shudder into his mediocre ale at the end of the day he much preferred the open disgust and fear of the mundanes to the constant disappointment he felt steeped in whenever he mingled in sorcerer society. The crazy bastards were all just so damned, enthusiastic, about everything, about being sorcerers, about their inevitable return to power, about strutting around and ruling their little southern kingdom. But that was sorcerers for you and that was how it had been ever since the Great War. Ever since a large group of sorcerers had first got it into their thick heads that they, as the ones with innate magic, and therefore the superior beings, should be ruling the kingdoms themselves. Apparently, short-sightedness was also an innate trait of sorcerers because they had failed to consider that their magic was very finite, and kings had armies. It didn't matter that you could kill ten men at a time, when kingdoms had entire battalions to throw at you. The Great War was a very optimistic term for it, really. It had been more of the Great Rout, not that the sorcerers would ever admit it, and every surviving sorcerer family had been permanently evicted from the northern half of the continent as traitors. The wall was built to keep them out. Since then, everyone had settled into a very comfortable, hereditary enmity. The sorcerers ruled everything south of the wood, and the kings, with their shining white palaces and codes of honor, claimed the much nicer northern lands. Life churned on. Naturally, each side still took every possible opportunity to plot and snipe at each other. Crow preferred to stay out of it when he could. They were all equally tiresome. Living so far away in his tower put him in the way of all those idiotic knights and would-be heroes, but that was nothing compared to the horror of being in the way of politics. This cannot stand, Lord Beelze declared with a slam of her palm on the table that echoed off the stone walls. How could you let things get so out of hand? That was the counsel for you. Loads of theatrics. Crow stood facing a long table, curved in the shape of a semicircle. Glasses tucked safely away in a pocket of his cloak. It would never do to be caught wearing them in this particular city. Certainly none of the other sorcerers ever covered their eyes. Trying to blend in with the mundanes, like some common hedge-witch, they would have sneered. They loved sneering at everything about hedge-witches, albeit privately since you could never tell when you might be in the presence of one. Privately, Crow envied the hedge-witches. No yellow eyes for them, so they were anonymous unless they advertised it. And very few did. Secretive creatures, hedge-witches. Very sensible of them, in his opinion. But then, even among sorcerers, he had always been in oddity. The Dark Council was holding session where they always did, in the cavernous stone building in the center of Pandemonium. It was an ugly building, like all the rest, blunt and square and utilitarian, its only distinguishing factor being that it was a really big, ugly building, and looming at one end of the room, just to complete the ambiance, a large statue of polished dark obsidian. It featured the tableau of a robed sorcerer standing over a kneeling king with a hand clamped around his throat. The king's crown was askew and he was attempting, unsuccessfully, to break the sorcerer's grip. Crow had to fight not to roll his eyes every time he saw it. Rolling his eyes would have been an especially bad idea, given where he was. At the curved table in front of him sat three other sorcerers. They probably thought sitting at such a huge, marble-topped table made them seem grand and intimidating. But with so much empty space stretching to each side, they just looked like a few dried peas... "'rattling around in an empty bowl. "'All were staring closely at him. "'All of the oldest bloodlines, "'all good friends of his father, back in the day, "'all very dissatisfied with Vladimir's only son. "'But that was nothing new. "'The conversation was going about as well as Crow had expected. "'To the right was Dagon, or, as they all styled themselves, Lord Dagon, the sorcerer families all clung to their original titles of nobility, despite not having bent the knee to a crown in three hundred years. Dagon was rail-thin and deathly pallid, like something that lived under a rock. He looked annoyed, or like he smelled something foul, but then he always looked like that. He was the type who was constantly peering down his long nose, as if he expected you to do something wrong at any moment, so he might as well be prepared. On the far left was Lord Leaguer, yellow eyes striking against his dark brown skin, as he regarded him skeptically. He drummed the fingers of one hand on the table while his other hand stroked the large, currently orange, chameleon draped over his shoulder. That thing went everywhere with him, and seemed as skeptical of Crow as its master. Leaguer was kin by marriage to Haster, and Crow was sure that he received regular reports. And last, but certainly not least, in the middle of the trio, standing with hands braced on the tabletop, was Lord beals head of the council, the only lady of the group, though fortune save anyone who dared to call her by the title of lady. She had always gone by Lord, stating that any title good enough for the rest of them was good enough for her. Privately, Crow suspected that the reason she was the head was that the others were terrified of her. He could hardly blame them. She was easily the most intimidating of the lot. Soot-black hair worn cut to the jaw at a severe angle. Grim yellow eyes set in a pale face, pockmarked by the livid scars of some childhood skin ailment, and magically strong enough to flatten anyone who irked her. Lord Beale's, was very easily irked. Appearing before this trio always made him feel like a
1: bug pinned to a card. There were unforeseen circumstances, Crow said glumly. Lord Dagon pounded a fist on the table. Unforeseen circumstances, he shouted. Sorcerers are not deterred by unforeseen circumstances. When this city sank into the swamp, did that stop us? No, we built it again, and when that sank too, we built it a third time. We sit in the mighty success of our perseverance, and like this city, we too will rise tougher, stronger, and more dangerous than before. Lord Beels incinerated
0: a fly buzzing about her head with an irate flick of her fingers, and rapped sharply on the table to regain his attention. She wore breeches, long-sleeved shirt, and leather waistcoat in head-to-toe black, tailored tight to her narrow body in the severe fashion of pandemonium, her blood-crimson sash of office draped from shoulder to hip. "'What?' Exactly. Have you done to repair the reputation of this council in particular, or sorcerers in general, after this? She glanced down at the paper in front of her, and her lip curled into a sneer. Debacle. Um, you need to keep up appearances, she added, before he could say anything more. If the rabble gets it into their heads that they can push you around, it causes trouble for the rest of us. Your actions reflect on us all. Oh, said Crow, as if he didn't know all that already. Scritch, scritch. In one corner, a yellow-eyed young man stood with quill and parchment at a small desk dutifully taking down every little detail of the encounter. One of Lord Leaguer's many heirs, Crow wasn't sure which one. They all looked alike, acted alike, and were all equally eager to please. This one's thick black hair was styled into two points like a bull's horns, one of the supposedly fashion-forward pandemonium styles. Crow thought it just made him look like a prat. Scratch-scritch, went the quill. What the hell could he be writing about? Crow wondered distractedly. There wasn't nearly enough happening to warrant such constant note-taking. Probably he was marking down every single inadequacy about Crow in excruciating detail. That was his guess, documenting it all for posterity, so future generations could know just how much of a disappointment he was. A sharp, dry cough from the end of the table drew his eyes back to Lord Leaguer. He always coughed before speaking, to ensure that he had everyone's attention.
2: Speaking of your actions, Lord
0: Leaguer said in his deep voice, folding his hands and leaning
2: forward. You still have not, by our latest reports, even fathered a single heir. Crow had to deliberately
0: unclench his fists at his sides. This again. He'd been expecting it, but that didn't make it any more fun. Sorcery ran in bloodlines, but unreliably. All it took was one parent to carry the sorcerer blood, technically, but it would often take a handful of tries. One could always be counted on to crop up by the eighth child, so all sorcerers were expected to be as, um, prolific as possible to increase their population, or at least put in an effort as often as possible. It was their duty for the good of the cause, and most sorcerers applied themselves enthusiastically to that duty. By now, half the common people in Pandemonium were some sort of ungifted sorcerer descendant, discarded attempts along the way to producing an heir. As in all other things, Crow himself had been something of an anomaly, since he had been his father's first and only child, and a sorcerer on the first go. There had been such high hopes for him, initially. Oh, uh, yeah, I'll get right on that, he said, unconvincingly. Three pairs of yellow eyes regarded him with suspicion. The scribe's damned quill went scratch-scratch in the silence. Ugh... The embarrassing truth was that despite their decades of prodding, he simply had no interest, and would have had no idea how to go about it, even if he did. Men and women alike shrank away from him like he was a particularly venomous serpent, not exactly conducive to romance. He knew he would have had better luck here in the capital, but frankly the idea of finding some lady he didn't even know a stranger and being naked in front of her never mind touching her was alarming he'd always assumed the appeal would manifest for him eventually but the years just kept ticking on with no sudden revelation he figured he might be able to work himself up to it if it came to that, but the prospect mostly just filled him with dread, the thought of sleeping with multiple women in succession was unfathomable. But the very last thing he wanted to do was try and explain any of that to these desiccated old prunes. Lord Beales was staring at him hardest of all. She reached under her chair and produced an enormous leather bound tomb over two feet tall. Crow gave an internal groan. <sighs> Beals heaved the book into the air and down onto the marble table with a loud whoomph that made everyone in the room jump in their seats dust flying everywhere and sending the other two counselors at the table into coughing fits. She ignored them all with cool disdain and flipped through the book until she found what she was looking for. Without taking her eyes from Crow, she stabbed a bony finger at a place on the yellowed page and recited, apparently from memory. Every sorcerer is duty-bound to produce at least one sorcerer heir, to ensure the future of our kind and prepare for our inevitable, glorious return to power. "Eh," Crow agreed, nodding. He knew the tenets as well as anyone. His father had lived and breathed them. Some of his earliest memories were of that infernal text being quoted at him whenever he fell short. So... very often.
1: Right. Uh, Glorious. This is important, Crow. I know. I know. Your father's necromantic gift may have eluded you. But there is still a chance that it will manifest in one of your progeny. It is essential that we continue your bloodline. With a properly
0: powerful necromancer on our side again, our victory will be a
1: foregone conclusion. Right, of course, he said. Uh, Foregone, for sure. (laughs) It didn't bloody well help much last time, though, did it? I'll keep trying.
0: Lord Beals glared at him a bit longer, but when he failed to offer any argument, she simply huffed and slammed the book closed again in another cloud of dust and loud coughing. Needless to say, she drawled, shoving the book roughly aside, an improvement in performance is needed
1: on multiple fronts. "'We have tolerated your many eccentricities "'as a courtesy to your late father,' added Lord Dagon, peevishly. "'We have shown you exceptional leeway. "'We did not even object when you elected to live "'so far away from the rest of our kind.' "'Crow bit his tongue. "'They had objected, actually,
0: strenuously.' The council were experts at putting their noses in where they had no business, but then they made all sorcerers' business their own. They just hadn't stooped to force in this particular area, since he'd been of inheriting age by sorcerer reckoning, and his father's name still commanded some respect. That respect had been worn paper-thin over the years.
1: You were very young, after all, with plenty of time to make a good showing of yourself outside the fold. But forty is no longer young. Thirty-eight? Crow thought irritably. And I guess that makes you
0: lot ancient. The scribe had begun frantically scribbling away the sound like a mouse gnawing at his brain, and it made him want to incinerate both him and his stupid quill. He unclenched his teeth, smoothed his face, and adopted
1: an ingratiating tone. Lord Beales, I have been the architect of many, many Northlander deaths over the years. More, I would argue, than any other sorcerer.
0: They'd been the architect of their own deaths, more accurately, but that was splitting hairs. My tower has served as a
1: reminder of our great power, and has been incredibly successful in luring them to their doom, all according to plan.
2: That's as may be, Lord Leaguer said, chiming in. But they have all come to you. Killing them could possibly be misinterpreted as merely self-defence. He spat it like it was a dirty word. Especially paired with your lack of airs, your continued refusal to participate in the rest of sorcerer society, and your most recent misstep with the girl, it does not set a good example for the younger generation. Such flagrant disregard for
0: duty and reputation could easily be seen as disloyal, Lord Beels said slowly. There was a heavy weight of menace in the last word. Shit, Crow began to sweat. Disloyal was one thing that sorcerers must not be above all else. There hadn't been a named traitor in several lifetimes, but that was because it was so harshly stamped out at a young age. He'd heard the stories. Sorcerers were immune to direct sorcerer fire, since they all shared the same innate power. But there were still plenty of other innovative ways to hurt someone. He had no desire to learn about any of those ways.
1: "'We require a demonstration, "'something to balance out your erstwhile good deed,' "'sneered Lord Dagon. "'Show the filthy Northlander kings "'that sorcerers are not to be trifled with.' "'Crow
0: knew he was supposed to hate Northlanders, "'especially the nobility. "'He supposed he kind of did,' at the end of the day, but in a distant, vague way, the way you hate a hurricane that may or may not make landfall. He didn't even particularly hate the idiots who charged into his tower, though he felt no compunctions about killing them. Mostly, he just wanted them to go away. Anything more than that was just too exhausting to maintain. It was difficult enough dealing with the latent disdain of everyone around him. But there was no getting out of it. Crow let out a huge sigh and stood a bit straighter.
1: Very well. What did you have in mind? That is your problem. This council is not responsible for fixing your inadequacies. Use your imagination!
2: Impress us, rumbled Lord Leaguer. We would like to see some craftsmanship. Lord Beals
0: leaned forward, palms flat on the table, and fixed Crow with her dull yellow glare. Simply put, get up there and make some trouble. Crow stomped out of the building into the crowded cobblestone streets of pandemonium, skirting around a muck pile and narrowly avoiding being run over by a horse-drawn cart. (laughs) We are not responsible for fixing your inadequacies, he mimicked in falsetto to a one-eyed rat gnawing on some rubbish in the gutter. (laughs) Stand
1: up straight. Don't lick the walls. You would think I was a half-wit. I don't see them risking their elevated asses to go do anything special. They don't expect anything from any of the other idiots around here. Why do they always have to single me out? Is it my fault that father was an overachiever?
0: The rat ignored him. Gah! He leaned back and took a few quick, deep breaths of swampy air, with hands on hips, trying to get his temper under control. Calm, cool and calm. He could feel his magic seething, hot and close to the surface, just begging to cause some havoc, and the last thing he needed was for his clothes to start smoking. He'd ruined more than one shirt that way when he was younger. It had been years since he'd lost control that badly, but the council had a special knack for getting under his skin. He lit a small blue flame in his hand, just to burn off some energy, and watched it flicker over his fingers for a moment. <laughs> absolute wankers! he muttered, and crushed the flame in his fist. Passerby had begun to shoot him curious looks at this point. He ignored them. He kicked half-heartedly at the rat, but missed and only managed to splatter his nice boots with stinking muck. The rat didn't even flinch. People flinched, but not rats. Didn't that just figure? Ugh, how he hated this city, he thought as he used a cleaning cantrip to remove the mud. Humid and cramped, and the narrow crooked streets stank of tar and sweat. The fog had finally burned off, but the sky above still contrived to look dreary, which fit very well with the dull and sooty buildings all around him. The people shuffling by were all furtive, shifty-eyed-looking folk, but thankfully none of them were sorcerers. There was no way, he decided, in a fit of temper, that he was riding that damned carriage twice in one day he reached into his shirt and yanked out the smooth round polished disk of blood-red stone that he always wore on a leather cord around his neck his homing amulet an artifact good for exactly one use per sunrise most sorcerer families had one left from the old days it was one of two identical pieces that could be linked back to any location by placing its twin piece in that place, and then used to travel instantaneously, albeit one way. This one was scratched and chipped like all the rest that had managed to survive this long, but the spell on it was still strong. Its corresponding disc was buried right in front of the back door to his tower. An escape hatch. He spoke the word, and a dull red glow sprang up in a broad circle around his feet. The low-slung buildings, murky sky and swamp stink of pandemonium, vanished, blurred, gray and black colors running together, like ink left in the rain. He breathed a sigh of relief. Before he could draw two slow breaths, the world resettled and snapped back into focus, on the rich green and brown-wooded scenery of the rookery. The sky was clear and blue. He could see emerald treetops above the thorny wall around him. The ravens were kicking up a racket about something or other, the harsh cawing, familiar and comforting. Crow rested his forehead against the warm stones of his tower and sucked in slow, deep breaths of fresh air laced with pine and earth feeling his tension slowly evaporate home home again in a way the trip had been very productive every time he started to second-guess his self-imposed exile all it took was a nice trip to the capital to remind him why he had done it in the first place End of chapter 2 Thank you for reading. Please drop by the archive and let the author know what you thought of their work.